Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. I'm your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 217. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support. If you're new to the podcast, there's a lot of episodes for you to catch up on. So swing by herohabit.com. You can find a full listing of every song we've covered so far, and it's all separated by artists and then by albums. So it's easy to find your favorites. And um, we obviously have many, many more to go. You can also find out where to follow us on social media and how you can support this podcast financially to help us keep it moving into the future. Also, I want to mention that we are now on the TikTok. If you look for Hero Habit on TikTok, um, I'm going to be there. Once we get to a thousand followers, if that day ever comes, uh, I would like to do like not every episode, but maybe once a week, I'm going to do a, a TikTok live where I'll just be filming myself um, recording an episode and you can interact and ask questions and stuff like that. And we can incorporate that into the episode. So if you're on TikTok, give us a follow over there so that we can get that 1000 goal. Um, I'm not holding my breath because that seems like a lot, but that's what we need to be able to do the live events. All right. So today we're talking about Run of the Mill by George Harrison. This is um, This is going to end our look at all things must pass for a while. We're only going to do the first disc for now, and then we'll come back to the second half of the album later. But I'd like to get to, you know, get to some Beatles or some of the other um, solo stuff. It was released November 27th, 1970 as the side two closer on all things must pass. And the song is a direct reaction to the business dealings at Apple, where Harrison seems to share his, his regret, his disappointment, his confusion at times, um, with how his band has dissolved into fighting or, like in the case of Lennon, just disregard. And the lyrics are beautiful. And George himself has said he felt it was the first song he'd ever written that read like a poem. And it really does. It's it's a really lovely lyric, and we'll talk about that later. In a lot of ways, I've been dreading covering this song because the timing of this song makes Here Comes the Sun look like a pretty basic song, which it isn't. Um, so bear with me. This is going to get real heavy on music theory. I'm going to try my best to describe it. This is one of those things that's a lot easier to explain if I have it on a whiteboard and I can kind of chart it out for you. So I'm going to do my best, but um, this is going to be heavy on music theory. And I'm also going to preface this with the fact that I wholeheartedly disagree with the way the official sheet music is written. Um, So if you disagree with my analysis, I'd like to hear it. Um, Because this is one of those things, I mean, technically the official sheet music is correct. But sometimes there's a couple correct ways you can write some music and, and, and it's not always um, what is correct on paper, but how it needs to feel. And if I was writing this out for a band that I was going to perform with, I would write it out differently, maybe a little bit more complicated uh, uh, to look at, but it would make more sense to the musicians. So anyway, to my ears, this song begins in standard 4-4 with a halftime feel. Now, the official sheet music I'm looking at lists this as cut time, um, which is technically the same thing. Um, but if you listen to how the drums are being placed, it makes more sense to count this as a halftime 4. Now, the difference between halftime and cut time is cut time is a time signature, 2-2, two, two, two beats per measure, and the half note is getting the beat. And there's a reason that they're they're saying that it's got to be in cut time 
And that's because of the next measure we're going to talk to. Um, But what I'm saying is you, the listener. So that's cut time in, in a halftime feel you, the listener are going to listen to the hi-hat and it's going to sound like it's playing eighth notes really slow. It's going to sound like it's going one and two and three and four and one and two. And and it's going to sound like the snare is hitting on two and four, just like it would in four, four. But when you do a halftime feel, what you're actually doing with this, this, the hi-hat or the ride cymbal, wherever you're doing your subdivision, um, is you're playing just the downbeats, one, two, three, four. Okay? And then if you put the snare on beat three, now all of a sudden, instead of going one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four, you're going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's the exact same time. Uh, it's the exact same tempo, but because you're making that snare drum further apart by putting it on three every bar, it makes the whole thing feel slower. So it's a halftime feel. All right, so that means that the eighth notes are actually twice as quick as the hi-hat is playing. All right, so I'm going to try to do a little percussion on my guitar. So you've got one... One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. So if that's your quarter note, even though it feels like an eighth note, that's actually the quarter note. That means that your eighth note is going to cut that in half. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay. So instead of counting what the drum is doing, I want you to break it down to the other subdivision which is basically one E and a, right? It's going to feel like 16th notes. But this is the pulse that goes through the entire song, okay? The eighth note in this song is the most important part of the meter because they are the only constant. If you're going to analyze it the way I'm analyzing actually, if you analyze it the way the official sheet music does, it's also you have to find a constant. But in this case, it's the eighth note that's the constant. So everything else that changes in the meter revolves around these notes, this subdivision. So after two bars of a halftime four, one, two, three, four, right? It feels like one because it's in halftime, but it's actually two. We go into four bars of three, eight. And you can count this as a single bar of 12, eight if you want. It doesn't really matter, but the structure of the melody feels like individual bars of three because you can really count it in one. You're going one, 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 right? So that's what makes me feel like it's um, it's actually four individual bars of three, eight. But that, that part doesn't really matter. Um, if that's what you're going to argue with me, if you agree with everything else, but you think it should be in 12, eight, don't even bother writing in. I, I totally buy it. Um, this is, that's really not that important. What the official sheet music has is it's written in three, four, and I just don't think that's the case. So... Since we're subdividing the eighth notes, we've got one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. You notice how that eighth note stays the same, right? So that's why I said you got to make that your constant. Then there's a bar of seven, four. So now we're going one, two. Oops. I uh, 
tried to do that from memory and I don't remember the chords. That's right. So we're going one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, and two, and one, two, three, four. Okay, so we're doing a bar of seven or three and a four, depending on how you want to count it. And then we're back into the half time. All right. One, So that's that's the verse. Now, where it gets a little bit more complicated um, is during the bridges. There's really no chorus here, so it's, I'm just counting it as verse and bridge. You got two bridges here. The first bridge, he ends each line on a bar of seven. Okay, so we've got the uh, no one around you can carry the way for you. Right, that's the bar of seven. Okay, then the second time he plays that part, he doesn't play seven. He plays it as a regular four four. But since he's established it in seven and the first time through, this little jar, it's a little jarring. And it feels like he's scrambling to put more words in, which he sort of is, but he's adding a beat to the phrase to accommodate that. So the most normal part of this song which is just a, uh, a bridge that's completely in 4-4, uh, sounds a little bit off. And I only George Harrison could make that sound off because he's established it in 7 prior, right? It's not off. It's totally standard. If he had done that from the beginning, you wouldn't even notice. But because he had taken that one beat away at the end of the phrases prior, uh, it sounds off. But it's a cool little effect. And this isn't the first time, and it definitely won't be the last time that Harrison messes with timing in such a way. Uh, and it's a testament to his band that everyone hangs on so tightly because these can be tough to navigate, especially when they're not consistent through the song, you know, which we just said the bridges weren't. You know, and, and you're dealing with bars of seven and going back and forth between uh, compound and complex time and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's tough, tough. Luckily for the players, though, the chord changes aren't as complex as Harrison was known to compose. Um, for the most part, the bridge is a simple one, six, one, six, four, six, five. And when I say simple, I only mean that it's all chords in the key of D. There's no naughty chords, as he would call them, and nothing borrowed from other keys. Uh, it's not a standard sequence by any stretch, but they're all chords that musicians are used to seeing in the key of D. So we've just got the... The one, six, back to one, to four, six, five. So you got a strong D tonic there. Okay, for the bridge, he moves to E minor, which is the two. So we're still not out of key of D. Um, it's a little unusual to switch to the two for a bridge. Usually the you know, musician will switch to the four. That's a very, very, very common thing. So the two, Or the relative minor, something like that. So just going to the two is kind of odd. Um, 
only because this verse never resolves to D. Right? He's not doing like a two five one sequence or anything. He's just going to two. So that's cool. And then we have the first borrowed chord of the song. No one around. It's that major chord, that F sharp major. All right. It should be F sharp minor if we were going to stay in the key of D. But that just does not sound as good. George made the right call. Um, so we have a major three chord, or basically another way to call it is a five of six. So it's the fifth chord of the sixth chord. Um, and he follows that chord with the logical six. Anytime you have a five of something, in this case, five of six, it's safe to bet that it'll resolve to the chord it's the five of, right? So a five of six will resolve to six. A five of four will resolve to the four, right? Because it's it's usually these chords are used to, to like take you a little bit away from the tonic, but not too far away from the tonic. And you want an easy way to get back. And they, they naturally resolve to those chords that they are the five of. Now, that's usually a safe bet. It's not really a safe bet with George. Uh, we talked about a deceptive cadence he used a couple songs ago um, where he hits the five and then he goes just as far away from where he should resolve as he, as he possibly could. But in general, if you see that, it's a safe bet. So then he takes that six chord, right? We've resolved to the six. So we've got two, five of six to six. The nice chord progression, and then he turns it major. All right, and he's using it kind of in the same way he would use a diminished seventh chord, right? Which makes this a five of two. Can you guess where that resolves? Yes, it resolves to the two chord. So he goes from that B7 to the E minor, which is where this bridge began, right? So in a lot of ways, he's establishing E minor as the tonic chord on paper. But if you're listening to it, it almost sounds like the B7 is actually the resolution, right? It sounds like... That sounds like it's resolved, right? It's not hanging there. But it is hanging because it's a 5-7 chord. And those hang. And then he goes to the 4 chord. And then we're back to D. So it's uh, a little ambiguous when you hear it. Partially, I think, because the uneven measures warp your sense of where you are in relation to the home key. It's very easy to feel resolutions when everything's in 4-4. And it's like, you know, you've got this da 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 Right, but it's not as easy when you've got da 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 Right, you've got all these like extended bars or half bars or switches from cut time to you know six eight or whatever like that so i think part of that adds to the ambiguity um but it all works beautifully on paper and none of the chords are too far from the original d major he doesn't shift very far and i think it's worth pointing out while we're talking about what he's doing his beautiful guitar acoustic guitar playing on this um in a lot of ways, I would have preferred just his guitar and the vocals. Um, but of course, we've got Phil Spector producing this to muck it all up. And in his defense, he mostly leaves the track um, alone. 
you know, and avoids a crazy wall of sound production. There are some horns that seem a little out of place, a lot like the horns on All Things Must Pass the song. Uh, I would have rather had that part covered by the Hammond organ or maybe a, a slide guitar. It really takes away from the relaxed roots rock feel of this tune to have a mid-range trumpet and sax playing in unison cutting through the mix. And, you know, had this been a George Martin production, that might have been covered with strings or a less abrasive horn, like a French horn or like a mid-range trombone that's got a little bit more mellow tone to it. There's a cool outtake of this track, Take 36, that appears on the 50th anniversary edition of this album. And on that take, a dual electric guitar part um, plays some pretty busy lines. It's a, it, it, it has a line that opens it, and then in between the verses, um, he fills in a lot. And there's not a lot of room in between these verses. And it's a harmonized guitar line. So you've got two guitars playing in harmony in these short little fragments. Uh, and it sounds more like an outtake from Layla, the Derek and the Dominoes album. But in that context of that take, the horns make a lot more sense. Because it's a little bit edgier. It's a little bit more rock, that version, than the version that was released. So those horns make sense, and uh, you know, and they're deeper in the mix, which who knows how they would have ended up if Spectre would have actually used that take. But in the mix that they did for the, the reissue, they're a lot deeper in the mix, and it, and it makes more sense. Um, and that's a fun listen. It doesn't compare to the final release version of the track, in my opinion, but it is fun to listen to it. And then all of this, and we haven't even talked about the lyrics, with lines like... Um, Tomorrow when you rise, another day for you to realize me or send me down again. And uh, as the days stand up on end, you've got me wondering how I lost your friendship, but I see it in your eyes. It's pretty easy to read all of this as a pointed conversation with either John or Paul. I don't think it's a stretch. Um, I feel like the lines I just read are kind of geared more towards Paul, but the line, which way will you turn while feeling that our love's not your concern? It's you that decides feels kind of directed at John, who had pretty much clocked out emotionally by that point, uh, at least as far as George was concerned. It's a really beautiful lyric, and again, puts George right up there with the best songwriters in rock, in my opinion. Definitely one of the most complex songwriters. You don't see a lot of guys uh, messing with time the way that he did. Or using, I mean, this wasn't a great example, or using the chord palette that he did. Uh, in general, even though this is a simpler one. What are your thoughts on this tune? I'd like to hear them. Give me an email, kinksandbeats at herohabit.com, or call me, 925-494-1739, and argue your interpretation of the timing of this song. I'm interested to hear it. And again, go to, we have a Reddit, a subreddit now at Hero Habit. We have the uh, uh, TikTok. We have the Instagrams. We have the tweeters. We have the Facebook groups. Go to all of it. There's different. I'm try. I try to post different content on each one, so it's something for different on every every platform. So follow them all. Find Hero Habit or Kinks and Beats on all the platforms, and uh, say hello. All right. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Make sure you leave a five star rating and review wherever you can leave ratings and reviews for podcasts. And uh, stay safe out there, everyone. <laughs>